Well, good morning. We're so glad that you are here with us this morning. A refreshing time of worship today, man. It was great to be able to worship the Lord together with you. How many of you made Easter or the cross service this year? Would you raise your hand if you made one of those two? That just about probably includes everyone in this room, and I'm glad that you made it uh, during those two weeks. Let me just tell, tell you something that we can celebrate about before we get into our series today. We saw 45 people pray to receive Christ during those services on that day. Would you rejoice with me? Isn't that awesome? And we want to keep them in mind in prayer because that's the start of discipleship right there. When they become believers, they put their faith and trust. We adopt them once they put their faith and trust in Christ and just began to come alongside them. And if you made a decision and followed Christ for the first time uh, over these last couple of weeks, we are now your family and we want to be your family in every way. Uh, so we're, we're excited about that for you. We're praying for you and we are here to help you take those next steps uh, of a believer and it's so exciting to take those first few steps of that journey. And we want to be a part of that all the way. So we rejoice. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for reaching out to so many people. More than 4,000 were here in our services. And we saw a lot of loved ones, a lot of people reached out to people they've been praying for, invited them, uh, become a part of what we're doing here. And many, many guests came. And if you're a guest that came for the first time during those weeks, just be a part of the family because we're excited that you're here. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25 today, we're looking at the life of a woman named Abigail today. This is the start of a new series for us. It's called the Surprise Series. It's a, it's a surprise sometimes when God comes through in a supernatural way in our lives. And when we're in real trouble, real danger, real difficulty, we're praying like crazy. We're asking God to intervene in a big way. And sometimes it stuns us the ways God comes through, but he always comes through. For the next few weeks, we'll be looking at five women and four men who saw God move in a supernatural way, in surprising ways, and we're going to see how he can work in our lives as well. I do want to say to you that over the nine, next nine weeks, we'll be in the Old Testament. Some of you did not know we had an Old Testament part of the Bible because for the last year and a half, we've been walking through the book of Luke together. Just a joke. I know you know we have an Old Testament. But today, we're going to go back into it for the first time in almost a year and a half after walking through the Jesus series. And uh, we'll be in this series for the next nine weeks looking at various individuals uh, and how God worked. And then on June 10th, David Platt will be in our services both in the early hour and the late hour. That June 10th weekend is a big weekend for us as we have what we call crossover. Southern Baptist Convention is meeting in Dallas. And uh, on Saturday, we will be reaching with thousands of other people into our community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's mobilized time, and we want you to be mobilized uh, to be a part of that with us. You know how to share the gospel. You know what it means, and you are a qualified congregation to help impact our whole community on that weekend. Then Sunday night, June 10, uh, Greg Laurie will be in AT&T Stadium for the big crusade that night where many will have the opportunity to come to faith in Christ for the first time. So it's a big weekend at the end of nine weeks of this series. So let's stand together as we begin this series. Um, surprised by the power of influence today. And uh, I'll be reading about 13 verses to start with. We're covering 38 verses here in 1 Samuel. So we want you to have your Bibles open and walk with us through this, an important start to our series called Surprise. Verse 1. Now Samuel died, Samuel was a prophet, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him, and they buried him in his house at Ramah. Then David rose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, and there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. The man was very rich. He had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He was shearing his sheep in Carmel. 
Now the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. Remember that name? This is the only chapter in which she is significantly mentioned, but it's an incredible story. The woman was discerning and beautiful, but the man was harsh and badly behaved. He was a Calebite. David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep. So David sent ten young men, and David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, and go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall greet him. Peace be to you, and peace be to your house, and peace be to all that you have. Now that's a peaceful greeting, right? So this is a friendly overture David is making to Nabal. Verse 7. I hear that you have shearers. Now your shepherds have been with us, and we did them no harm, and they missed nothing all the time they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever you have at hand to your servants and to your son David. So David and his 600 soldiers are hungry, and they come asking for food. Verse 9. When David's young men came, and they said all this to Nabal in the name of David, and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants, Who is David? Who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants these days who are breaking away from their masters. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shearers and give it to men who come from I do not know where? So David's young men turned away and came back and told him all this. And David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword. And every man of them strapped on his sword. And David also strapped on his sword. And about 400 men went up after David, while 200 remained behind with the baggage. I hear the sounds of a rumble about to take place. Amen? That's going to happen. Something's going to happen. A confrontation is going to take place. And if you haven't lately read through the end of chapter 25, hold on right here because I want to tell the story before you get to the end of this amazing battle that was to take place. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you'll give us insight and wisdom by the power of your Holy Spirit to the Scriptures today as we look for the way to live real life the way you called us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. Five women and four men will detail over the next few weeks. Today, Abigail, next week, Rahab the harlot that God used in such a supernatural way. You know, it's kind of refreshing to be able to talk about individual women in the Bible. Because although they're sprinkled all through the Bible, we don't always hear so much about how God works on behalf of a woman. God used women in powerful, powerful ways. And we want to look at that today and celebrate that today and acknowledge that today in a huge way. In reality, over these next few weeks, we'll see how God works in men and women's lives and sometimes in the most dire of circumstances, and that's what we have in this scenario. I want you to see the scenario of David and his 600 men who are hungry. David has been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel, but he refuses to displace Saul until Saul dies. So David's this honorable man, and now he has these 600 men that are running with him, and, um, and they're waiting for their time in the kingdom. They're hungry at this particular point, in history, hungry and tired and worn out. There is Nabal, who is a rich shearer of sheep. He has sheep. He has all kinds of food to give. It's a feast day. David is hungry, and Nabal responds as though he doesn't even know David. Now, in all fairness, Nabal knows everything about who David is. He knows everything about the fact that he's destined for the throne, but not yet there. Nabal 
has a callous mindset and an attitude, and it creates a showdown between two very angry men with one woman at the middle of it. I consider this woman for just a moment. Here is Abigail, the wife of Nabal, who has been forced, in a sense, to come between two very angry men bent on battle. Hear the sounds of the horses. Hear the yells of David's men as they strap these swords on. You know, when David said, strap your swords on, you knew what was coming next, right? We know what's coming next. There's going to be bloodshed. Someone's going to die. And in these words in 1 Samuel 25, we learn more and more the intensity of David's anger and the intent to wipe off the face of the earth, Nabal, his family, and his servants. And yet here's this woman between two angry men, one this rich fool, the other this king. And where this woman is is a place that nobody really wants to be, in the middle of two powerful men who are bent on destroying each other. And yet there she is. You know, it's amazing how God sometimes puts us in the place, in the position of or in the center of the worst of circumstances. Life is not made up of one good circumstance after another. That's not real life. We talk about being real people with real hope and real life. Well, real life does not mean every day's a great day. We don't wake up smiling with the birds singing, right? We don't, we don't wake up to great scenarios every week. We don't talk about the fact that you can always be successful every day because that's not really true if we're talking about real people and real hope and real life. It's not always true. We're going to have a great day every day. And Abigail has a day. It's going to go down as really one of the most important days in Israel because of the future ramifications. You know, every day you fight confrontations and difficulty. We really rarely know how big of a deal it is in the big picture, but Abigail learned how big of a deal it really was. I want you to notice this woman. This woman is really the hero of the story in many ways until we see how God came through on her behalf. And then, of course, God, who is always the hero of every story, demonstrates his power and how he works with people. But Abigail is the focus today. She's the focus because God's using her in this tough situation, in tough circumstances. The harder the circumstances, the bigger the barriers, the bigger the problems, that's how big the solutions are that God is going to demonstrate and how he's going to intervene in your life. Great interventions come because they need to come. And that's the way it is in the life of Abigail. Now let's look at her life for just a few moments. I want to detail four big, big pieces of this whole story in her life. First of all, I want you to notice her intervention. She intervenes at a moment when few could intervene. If you look back in verse 17 of our text, all the way down through verse 22, we'll read those verses and see how it all happens. In verse 14, one of the young men come back and tell Abigail, Nabal's wife, about all that's happening. Verse 17, he concludes his statement. Now, therefore, know this and consider what you should do, Abigail. For harm is determined against our master and against all his house. And he is such a worthless man that one cannot speak to him. In other words, Nabal is so unreasonable, even his servants are saying that. Later on, his wife will acknowledge that. And David says the same thing. Verse 18, then Ab Abigail made haste. And she took 200 loaves and two skins of wine and five sheep already prepared and five seahs of parched grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes to figs and laid them on donkeys. And she said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. And as she rode on the donkey and came down under the cover of the mountain, behold, David and his men came down towards her and she met them there in the plain. 
Now David had said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him. And he has returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David and more also if by morning, here's the threat, I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. The implication is alive. If I even leave one alive after this kind of insult, may God do so to me. <clears throat> now, verse 27, I want you to jump down and see this line here as he shares this with uh, Abigail. Now, let this present that your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who follow my Lord. This is short-circuiting all the way to her response to uh, David. We're going to bring something. We're going to intervene. We're going to feed your men. Now, I want to take just a moment and look at her intervention for a moment. No one wants to be in this woman's shoes. No one wants to be in this scenario. But the reason this woman is read about and lauded 4,000 years later is because she's in an irreconcilable situation that she cannot solve. At some point, all of us have to come to that place in our lives where we know we're in over our head in life. We're in over our head with problems and the different circumstances we face. And it's a good moment when we come to that place because when we're at that place, we have only one to depend on, but he's trustworthy, and it's God. And that's what's going on in Abigail's life. She's realizing during this problem that takes place that God is going to have to come through in her life. Now, she's been living with an angry man. Her servant says that he's angry, that Nabal is a worthless man. She stays that at some point. David stays that. So we have good evidence that everyone around Nabal says he's a hard-headed man. He's a stubborn man. He's worthless in every way. He's angry. And she had learned from that tough circumstance, that tough situation, how to deal with an angry man. So she had incredible insight in knowing how to deal with another angry man, David, at the same time. Notice some things she does. First of all, her intervention has the right timing. In verse 18, the very first part of that verse, the scripture says she made haste. She wasted no time. She prepared the food that needed to be prepared without a moment to lose. This was an emergency moment. You know, and everything in life involves a time to think and then a time to act. This woman's moment had passed where she could think any longer. It was time to act. I know it's important to think about what you do. It's important to pray and think through uh, logically and completely about all the things that you face, but there comes a time where thinking doesn't do any more good. You can be paralyzed by the paralysis of analysis, and at some point, you have to take a step and say, it's time to act. If I don't act now, my family may not be safe. Maybe she had sons we don't know, but David has promised to wipe out all the men in her family. And she has a moment to act, and so she has the right timing. It was time to do something. The women that I know in my life have always had a good sense of timing. My mother was a godly, a godly woman, an amazing woman. She always seemed to know when to act. Didn't waste a lot of time. My wife, the same way. She knows the right thing to say, it seems. In the right circumstance, there's a timing about how she approaches things. And this wise woman had the right timing. She also had the right approach. In verse 18, we see she takes care of the hunger first. She knows these men are coming down the mountain and they're hungry. They've been refused food by Nabal. And so she brings all the food that's already prepared and she lays it out in front of these men and she kneels before David and offers this. This woman's really smart in a lot of ways. She knows that every man's love language is food. 
It may be food plus something else, but it's always the love language of food. Amen? Is that right? As a matter of fact, every person's love language is food, I think. Let's go eat it out, right? That's what we do sometimes. Let's just go eat together and it'll all be fine. So she brings the food and what happens when she brings that food is that she causes these men who are hungry and have been refused food by Nabal to stop in their track long enough for this whole intervention to take place. So they stop because of her generosity. They stop because of her food. She's taken the right timing and she's taken the right approach. Now you notice in this text that she doesn't tell her husband Nabal. And that's disturbing for some. Why would this woman not inform her husband? Is it disrespectful? Well, in reality, she could have said, well, my husband's at home. Let me take you to his door. And we know what would have happened, right? So and by intervening, basically she stops the slaughter that's sure to take place. She doesn't tell him, but she chooses to act on that moment. As we look at the life of Abigail, as we look at her wisdom, as we look at her sense of timing, it's not inconceivable that this woman has lived such a trustworthy life that she has the opportunity to write a check on that bank account called trustworthiness, and she chooses to exercise that freedom right then and right there. Doesn't tell her husband. She just absolutely acts. This exception, not the rule, but it saved his life. It is easy for me to see as I read this text that she's being led by God. She's being led by what she must do for her family. That's her intervention. Notice her interaction. In verse 23 and 24, we pick up the conversation. When Abigail saw David, she hurried and got down from the donkey and fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, On me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears and hear the words of your servant. So here she is with this food, getting off the donkey, kneeling down before this warrior of a man, David, with all the men. Keep in mind, the men are watching David and his response to this woman. Keep in mind, they know that David didn't stop it much. He had a reputation for being a conquering king. He had the reputation for being a man of war. This is the guy that slayed the lion and the bear when they threatened the sheep. This is the guy that came after Goliath by the power of God and destroyed Goliath in front of the Israelites. This is the guy that, not, that doesn't know fear in any way when it comes to the enemy. So here he is considering Nabal an enemy and this woman begins to interact with him. Notice she shows him respect. Verse 23, she fell before David on her face and bowed to the ground. Let me just make note that you don't approach ungodly, angry people demanding rights. You approach them with respect that people want and feel they deserve. Everyone needs to be respected, but no one more than this man right here. 24 times in her interaction, she shows respect. Somehow she's managed to live with this neighbor for however many years they've been together and surely she's shown respect in the most difficult of circumstances. So the practice of showing respect in a tough situation allows her to be ready to show respect in an incredibly important moment. The Bible admonishes men and women to live in respect with each other. In 1 Peter 3, it admonishes women to know how to live with respect to their own husbands. It's very important. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husband so that even if, those, even if they do not obey the word, they will be one without a word. Why? As they observe the conduct of their wives for they see the respect and the pure conduct. Men watch 
Not just what someone says, but what someone does. We watch what people do in the spirit in which they do it. Respect is incredibly important no matter who you are. And so this woman showed amazing respect and it stopped David even further. You know, one of the most influential times a woman has in, in the life of a family or the life of a marriage is when she prays, not when she talks to men, but when she talks to God. I can remember some of those most heart-stopping moments that my wife and I have had. Well, we may have been in conversation, we may have even had a disagreement, but there was a moment where my wife disengaged from the conversation and began to go to God, began to pray. And when I saw that going on, I knew that uh, something was going to happen and it was going to happen because God was going to begin to deal with me because when she began to go to God, God was going to begin to deal with me. Wives, let me just say this to you. Women, let me say this in particular to you today. Whoever you are, there is a level of respect that God simply honors in amazing, amazing ways. Men want to listen to women who show respect and who love God. There's also responsibility here. In verse 24, she says, on me alone, my Lord, be the guilt. Isn't this like some of the women you know? I remember growing up, my mom, who was a godly woman, would intervene for me when she wasn't guilty, but I was. Now, I'm not talking about taking up for your kid at school when, when your kid really needs to have some discipline. I'm talking about intervening for your kid when you needed to get him out of the situation immediately you took the blame on yourself and then you handled it privately later. And my mom did that all the time for me. In fact, I don't know where I'd be today if my mom didn't step up time and time again for me. And I see this over and over. Wise, godly women step up and say, I'm not guilty, but I receive the guilt on my back. I'm going to handle this myself right now. That's what this woman does. She takes the blame off her husband onto herself as she steps in the gap. It's very risky. It's also very Christ-like. It's Christ-like to step into a situation and say, this is irreconcilable, I'll take the blame. We'll deal with everything else later. That's what Christ did for us. Christ stepped into the gap between God and man. Christ took the blame, took the punishment for us. So there's a very powerful picture of taking responsibility. Now the uncomfortable part about this text is that she does call him foolish and yet still she's favorable in the text. The Holy Spirit helps us to know that she is a favorable woman in the eyes of the Lord. She says he's foolish because he is. Respect doesn't mean that you lie about someone or you lie to someone. Respect means you speak the truth, but you speak it in love and you speak it with respect and speak it in the sense that it's always in the best interest of others to hear the truth. It's, it's just true. So her interaction, respect, responsibility, and then the point where God comes alongside her in a huge way her influence. In verse 25, we find this being recorded. Let not my Lord regard this worthless fellow Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I didn't see them. I would have changed the course of what he said. But now I'm here. Now notice as she begins to influence she is bold and confident. Look at verse 26. Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, because the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from saving with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be its neighbor. 
Now, pardon me for pausing for a moment, but, but this thing is not over yet. David is still bent on taking revenge, and yet she speaks as though she's already restrained David. She speaks with a boldness and a confidence. You've been restrained. You're not going to do this anymore. I don't know where she got that boldness and confidence if she didn't get it from the Lord himself. Because she knew to speak against David was to put her own life in danger, and yet she said it. She was bold. She was confident. And I cannot fathom apart from prayer, apart from knowing the Lord, that, that, that she had the boldness to say this. She knew this was her day. She knew that this was the point of her life that mattered most of any other moment in her life, and she was ready for it. She's bold. She's confident. She also sees the big picture. I'm really amazed by what she says to David in verse 28 and following. Here's what she says, verse 28. She begins to reason with him, and look at the words she uses. Please forgive the trespass of your servant, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. If men rise up to pursue you and to seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living and the care of the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from a hollow of a sling. And when the Lord has done to my Lord, according to all the good he has spoken concerning you, and has appointed you prince over Israel, my Lord shall have no cause of grief or pangs of conscience for having shed blood without cause. For my Lord is working salvation himself. And when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your servant. She sees the whole picture. You notice how she uses these words? She uses the words of a man with a slingshot to describe how God is going to deal with the enemies going to be like a stone in this slingshot, knowing that David had slain the animals with a slingshot, knowing that David had picked up five smooth stones and slew Goliath that way. She used language that said, I know your story. I know your picture. I also know your future. I know you're going to be a king. I know if this needless slaughter takes place, it's going to come back and haunt you and it will hold you back from being the kind of king that God has called you to be. She sees the whole picture. She's informed. She's wise. She's intelligent. At some point, this woman has listened and she has heard and she has prayed and she has considered the whole thing that she's being faced with. She's seeing the whole picture and finally she brings God into the conversation. I love this about this woman and about David because in verse 32, after she talks about the Lord, David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me this day from blood guilt and from working salvation uh, with my own hand. For uh, surely, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, truly by morning there had not been one left in Nabal, not even one male. That's amazing verses where David is saying, I now acknowledge God. You know, I love the fact that Abigail is the first one to bring up God's name. Abigail begins to talk about the Lord before David begins to talk about the Lord. And David is a man after God's own heart. But David is not talking about the Lord during this moment of anger. He's not talking about the Lord as he tries to get revenge. And Abigail brings God into the conversation. Eight times God is mentioned here, five by her and then three by him. Look at Abigail. She's got beauty, the Bible says. Obviously, she's got brains, but more than any of that, she's got this rigid, strong belief in God. 
And this belief in God allows her to be all that she needed to be at that moment. I heard this a number of years ago. I've shared it a number of times. Still don't know who the author of it is, but here's the statement. A woman's heart should be so lost in God that a man needs to seek him in order to find her. I love that statement. A woman, though she may be beautiful, doesn't need to be known most for her beauty. She needs to be most known for her walk with God. The Bible elevates the woman like that. The, the Bible describes a woman like that as a virtuous woman every time it describes her. But I want you to notice this last thing that's going on. God is intervening. God is beginning to work in a powerful way. Notice her patience. Verse 36. After David holds back, after David says, go up in peace to your house. See, I've obeyed your voice. I've granted your petition. Imagine this woman hearing this from the voice of a king. I'm going to obey your voice. Abigail, not the 600 hungry voices of my horsemen, not the voice of my anger or the voice of my revenge. I'm going to obey your voice. I'm going to do what you tell me to do right here, right now. Then notice the patience. She's got to tell Nabal at some point. And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until morning light. In the morning... When the wine had gone out of Nabal, the wife told him all these things, and his heart died within him, and he became a stone. And about ten days later, the Lord struck Nabal, and he died. She waited, and God was on her side. She did the tough thing, but she also did the right thing, and God did the rest. She did the right thing, and God did the rest. That's a principle for all of us. Do the right thing. Trust God to do the rest. Do the right thing and then stop. Don't try to short-circuit God. Don't try to get ahead of God. Do the right thing and let God do the rest. Do the right thing in marriage and let God do the rest. Do the right thing in all your dealings and the Lord will do the rest. Do the right thing in your personal life and God will do the rest. Do the right thing. God did the rest. And at that moment... God did what otherwise would have seemed impossible. He turned the heart of an angry man back to himself. Don't tell me women don't have the influence to help a man be more spiritual. Because Abigail's testimony is really clear. God used that moment. He used her words. He used everything about the scenario to talk to David loudly and clearly. She's right, David. If you don't back up, you'll have a mar on your testimony, on your story. You'll have bloodshed that will hinder you from being a graceful king. Step back. And he did. I love the fact that she saved her home. She rescued her husband. She restrained the warriors. She saved the kingdom. All in one day's work. All in one day's work. Some of you may say, well, a woman's one day's work is always kind of like that. Well, it might be. But here it is living in, in brilliant color for us all to see. And you know, the interesting thing about this story is that it doesn't really end here even though Nabal dies. Look at verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord, whose avenged the insult I received at the hand of Nabal has kept back his servant from wrongdoing. The Lord has returned the evil of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and spoke to Abigail to take her 
as his wife. Here's Abigail, Nabal's dead. And for all practical purposes in her mind, David is gone. And then she hears the sound of horses coming back after her. And I don't know what that sound sounded like to her, but what an amazing moment. What a romantic moment. I mean, somebody needs to make a movie about this story here. This is romance, man. Just don't let Hallmark have it, okay? That's somebody that really knows how to make a movie. <laughs> David's coming back and ask for her hand in marriage. As she goes with him, she becomes his wife, the wife of the king. Because at that moment, she had stepped up, spoken for her family in an amazing way. Even though the Bible describes her as beautiful, David fell in love with her character, with her spirituality, with her wisdom. Later on, Solomon, David's son and king, an author of Proverbs says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's what we need to strive for as women. To be praised because of our fear of God, because of our willingness to walk with God. This is what's valuable. Because you can be beautiful. But if you don't have a belief in God, if you don't have a heart for God, then you don't have the character this woman has. You don't have what really is appealing, what really is what a woman is admired for, her spirituality. You know, interestingly, we don't hear much else about Abigail. We know that she and David had a son, and they named him Kilab. The word Kilab in the Hebrew is a word that means restraint. I think it's interesting that they named their son Restraint. Several times in the book of First Samuel, in, verse, in chapter 25, we see the word restraint. Abigail restrained herself. David was restrained, and now they have a child later on in marriage, and they name him Restraint. Maybe they named him so that they would remember that moment. You never again hear about Abigail in the Bible. Her moment of fame and influence was brief and powerful. It didn't happen just because she happened to be at that moment in time. It happened because she had cultivated a trust and a walk with God that allowed her in that most important moment to do the right thing and let God do the rest. I want to urge you today, let that be your mantra. Walk away with that example. Men and women alike, look at this woman, this hero of faith. who really changed the course of the world by preventing a tragedy that didn't need to occur. Do the right thing. The Lord will do the rest. I want you to bow your head for just a moment. And as you bow, I want you to think about your circumstances that you're in. Maybe you think it's intolerable. Maybe you think there's no way to win. Maybe there are impossible circumstances. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're defeated in so many ways. But let me tell you, when you feel the pressure crushing in on both sides, you'll feel what Abigail felt that day. When you feel that you're between a rock and a hard place and you don't know where to turn, you turn in the same direction Abigail turned in, to the Lord. And as the Lord guided her, he'll guide you. And as he honored her doing the right thing, he'll honor you doing the right thing. I don't know how it will turn out for you, but I know this. I know the Lord will have a way to intervene in your life and in your impossible circumstances if you trust him. Father, today I ask you in Jesus' name to let Abigail's life be alive to us. Help us to realize the power that this woman experienced because of you. And Lord, how you intervene on her behalf, how you turn the heart of an angry man, David, 
how you dealt with a stubborn man, Nabal. Only you can do, God. And so, Father, I pray today that we would learn to walk in such a way where you could use us to do your work. Help us to believe, help us to acknowledge, have faith that you can handle everything we're facing. Father, thank you for the promise of an Abigail and the promise of a God who intervenes when we need him the most. So I pray for these in this room today who need you, who need to hear from you, who need to learn to wait on you. And Father, as they do the right thing, you do the rest. I ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.